Chapter 14 Mike was painting a fifth coat on the dumpster fence when Peter returned over the North Hill. His little car scraped the edge of the sun as it fell out of sight. Mike shielded his eyes, accidentally smearing paint across his cheek. He dropped the brush and wiped his face, cursing and kicking the gravel. Mike also didn't care for Ken or the attention he got from Becky, but Mike didn't have a car to escape. All he could do was stand out in the parking lot, occasionally painting, chain-smoking, and waiting for the sun to go away so Becky would come out and drive him home. Becky had said little lately. This worried Mike. He didn't want to see her get hurt the way she often did by grown-up boys like her exes, Chris and Andy. But Ken was different. He seemed up to no harm, and that was suspicious. He seemed immersed in himself and hardly paid attention to Becky. That was confusing, and he seemed relaxed around her, which made Mike assume they had a past. Becky wouldn't tell Mike anything about Ken. She only shrugged and touched her hair when Mike tried to bring it up. This gesture made it obvious she liked Ken an awful lot more than she was letting on, and that hurt Mike's feelings. So he'd begun therapeutically painting his way through the ordeal of losing her to another man. This wasn't Mike's first rodeo. He was no stranger to watching his best friend and the love of his life crumble to pieces over some dipshit with more facial hair and a car. Today's coat of paint was going on hard. The fish CD was distracting him from his mindless work more than it had the day before, and when Peter's car puttered over that rise to the north, and Mike smudged himself with paint. The curses came flying, and his arms went flailing, and it was suddenly him against the sky, the wind, and the whole empty state of Iowa. Mike screamed obscenities he didn't know the meanings of as paint dripped into his eye. He flung the can out of his hand and dropped to his knees. Son of a dog shit, he yelled, grabbing his head and tipping back on his ass. He snorted, spat hard, and wiped his eye. Then he pulled out a cigarette, rammed it in his mouth, and lit it, tossing his lighter off into the grass. He laid back and looked at the stupid clouds as the sound of Peter's car crept into the parking lot and came to a stop inches from his ear. Peter killed his engine and got out, slamming his door and plopping down into the gravel beside him. They sat there, Mike lying on his back, Peter perched up with his eyes tracing the dry horizon, both of them thinking the same things, wanting to say the same things, but instead they just let fish soundtrack their silence. It was a song about birds, or at least that's the way the lyrics made it seem. Three falsetto male voices were repeating a cry over and over like a call to the wild. I hate this fucking song, Mike said, flicking ash into a gust of summer wind and letting his arm tumble back to his side. Me too, Peter agreed, staring off farther with each breath. Applause and crowd cheer began to flood over the bad music. They waited to speak, knowing exactly what was coming. Soon, a wave of reverberated guitar plucking, backed by slap bass, abruptly began. It was the beginning of the CD, the first seconds of a cycle that come to hold them in orbit. This lead-off song meant it was nearly eight o'clock at night. Their shift was thankfully almost over. 
How was Ken today? Peter asked, distantly. What? Mike asked, confused. How was Ken? Was he an asshole today? Mike shook his head. Ken's not really an asshole, he said. Just because someone's a dumbass doesn't make them an asshole by default. Peter looked at his car, and then at the ground. I don't like him, though. Yeah, me either. Why do you think that is? Peter asked. Well, he's the boss, Mike said. Nobody really likes a boss. Peter picked up some gravel and tossed it into the grass. Yeah, but Becky's a boss, and I like her. Mike put his cigarette out and sat up, staring off at the emptiness that somehow held Peter's attention. I like Becky too, Mike said. The front door swung open, and Becky ran out into the parking lot, almost tripping and falling. She juggled her keys in her hands, snorting tears back into her face as she climbed into her car without noticing Mike or Peter. In a blast of dust and smoke, she started her engine and peeled out onto the highway, swerving over into the shoulder several times as she disappeared over a hill and fell out of sight. It had all happened so quick. Peter and Mike looked at the drifting sun where she'd been silhouetted only seconds before, but now the sky was just orange, and all they could hear was her puttering exhaust fading into the distance. Becky had never left work like this before. She was the one with keys to the place. She was supposed to lock the door. She was supposed to shut the lights off. She was supposed to give Mike a ride home. But it appeared their worst fear had finally come true. She just fled, leaving them in this pathetic place to fend for themselves and dream no more. Watching her go was like a bad song. Peter realized this particular fish song Latulating along with the gentle summer wind would now forever remind him of this moment of loss. Now he hated the song more than he could handle. He clenched his teeth and swallowed hard. Mike stuck a cigarette in his mouth and squinted out over the emptiness once again, as if he was not surprised at all, but rather relieved, maybe even a little happy. He smiled. What are you smiling at? Peter asked. At least she didn't leave with Ken, Mike said, lighting the cigarette. They looked out over the road and rose to their feet, dusting themselves off. The muffled, shitty music from inside snapped off, and Ken came out, carrying his jacket and guitar. He nodded to the two of them with a stupid, loose grin. We're closing early, I guess, he said. If you guys want to grab your shit, I gotta lock up for Becky. I guess she had to take off or something. What the fuck happened, Peter asked. Ken shrugged his shoulders. Mike shook his head. Peter looked at the ground. For the first time, the three of them were alone. No one had a thing to say. I guess that means you need a ride, Ken said to Mike, nodding at him as he pulled on his jean jacket with his guitar tucked between his legs. Mike didn't want a ride from Ken, but Peter lived in the opposite direction. He felt fucked. He stomped into the building, brushing past Ken without a glance. Peter climbed into his car and sat behind the wheel. There was a hollow place in his chest that Becky's crying and running had made. He felt for her, but didn't know what he felt or why. 
It was a new, unfamiliar sadness that tasted like burnt toast and smelled like bike tires. He looked at his hands on the wheel. They looked useless and cold. Then he looked up into the rearview mirror and saw Mike, jacket and hat pulled over himself, storming towards his car and cursing beneath his breath. Mike walked up to Peter's window and knocked hard, kicking some gravel and fidgeting with his hat. Peter rolled down his window and looked up at him. Give me a ride, man, Mike muttered. Don't make me ride with Ken. Peter looked back across the lot. Ken's ass hung out the passenger door of his own car, clearing room and finding a new place to stick the guitar. Get in, Peter said, starting his engine. Peter pulled out onto the highway and headed toward town, the same direction Becky had went. He flipped on his headlights as the sky grew dark. They'd left Ken in the parking lot without a goodbye, so neither were surprised when a pair of headlights popped onto the road behind them, racing to catch up. For a rich kid, Ken had a pretty shitty car. Shittier than Peter's, anyway. It rattled and bobbed as it came closer and closer. Ken swerved into the oncoming lane and raced up alongside them, one hand on the wheel, the other cradling a bottle of wine in his lap. His windows were down and his long, stringy hair floated in the breeze of night. His strange eyes were lit only by his dashboard lights. The cars were neck and neck. Ken was looking across his empty passenger seat at Peter and Mike, smiling his strange, metallic smile. He lifted the bottle to his mouth and took a drink, his eyes unblinking, one hand holding him blindly straight ahead. It was scary how comfortable Ken looked, speeding directly into the unknown darkness of a surely instant death. And it was a comfort in this unknown that oozed from his cold, lifeless eyes as he stared the two of them down. Peter and Mike said nothing, trying to ignore him as he hovered like a fly outside their driver's side window, flying along beside them like some highway ghost. It was terrifying. Up ahead, a rise in the road lifted into trees, and the center yellow line chopped itself into pieces. Any second now, the road would go entirely black beneath the woods, and any other car headed their way would find a quick and explosive end in Ken's headlights. Peter hit his brakes, but Ken did the same. Peter pressed on the gas, and Ken did as well, following right alongside like a shadow. Peter rolled down his window and shouted across the dividing line. What the fuck are you doing, man? Ken took a swig of wine and tossed the bottle into the seat beside him. Do you guys want a drink, he shouted back. My place is just up ahead on the left. Stop by for a second. Just follow me. Ken slammed on the gas and pulled in front of them, honking and waving a hand out his window, motioning towards the turnoff up the road marked by a dilapidated mailbox and a wide overgrowth of weeds. Before Mike could protest, Peter flipped on his turn signal and did as Ken asked, turning them off the highway and pulling at an idle up onto a thin gravel driveway lined with bushes taller than the windows of his car. It felt like they were driving through a cornfield. The sky was black and the branches and limbs of the passing foliage scraped along the outside of their doors. Ken's car was now far ahead of them. It was an incredibly long driveway and barely wide enough for a bicycle. 
This is a bad idea, Mike said, shaking his head. Why the fuck did you turn off? Did you see the way he was driving? This guy's fucking crazy. And now we're following him into the woods? Jesus fucking Christ. What if Becky's here, Peter asked, keeping his eyes over the wheel. I got the feeling she left without talking to you because she was embarrassed about something. I'd be embarrassed to admit I was hanging out with Ken. Wouldn't you? Mike said nothing. Haven't you noticed her staring at him all day long? Peter asked. Again, Mike was silent. Peter pulled off his hat and continued glancing up into the mirror. I'm tired of thinking about it and not knowing. I turned off and followed Ken because I want to see if she's here. If she's here, it's going to mean something. What's it going to mean, Mike said without expression. Peter shook his head. I don't really know. I guess it would mean that she must really like him. That's what grown-ups do when they like each other. They meet up at each other's places at night and, you know. Mike went quiet for a minute, then spoke up, punching the dash with a fist. So what if she's here, he grunted. That doesn't mean they're fucking. I get the feeling that already happened, Peter said in a cold sigh, pointing a finger up the road at Ken's crawling taillights. And for some stupid reason, Becky still likes this guy, and I need to know why. If I'm ever going to get close to her, I need to know what it is about him that she likes so much. Mike felt smart for not admitting his own feelings for Becky. He'd done that once before in the past and then watched those feelings go ignored. Mike instead just wadded up his own words about Becky into a tight knot and swallowed them. Then he pulled out a cigarette, lit it, puffed a few drags, and thought over Peter's frustrations and how similar they were to his own. A branch slapped against the windshield. Mike and Peter flinched. Up ahead, Ken had parked along a giant, barn-shaped building that stood in the darkness like a looming range of mountains. The place was lightless. Every window was pitch black. It looked more like an abandoned school building than a house. It was four stories high, with a porch wrapping all the way around both sides. Other than the faint glow of cloudy moonlight sifting down through the shingles of the roof, barely a trace of color was left to see. The house stood in the night air like an inverted shadow of itself, with tiny Ken standing beside it, waving and holding his guitar and bottle of wine. Becky's car was nowhere to be seen.